Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode 314 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, The Ring Digital YouTube channel, and ringtv.com. And a reminder that our latest issue uh, that focuses on the situation in the, in the Ukraine and how that is affecting both former boxers and current boxers from that part of the world alike is out everywhere. Check it out. Some really, really good stuff there. Episode 314 of TNC uh, is here for the week of May, was it 20? I can't even remember. May 25th, I think, this week. I got my dates mixed up. I'm um, still a little bit scatterbrained from everything that's been going on. It was a big, big weekend, a lot going on. And in fact, I'm going to have some announcements for you guys. Uh, the news and notes section today is going to have a lot of personal Montero related um, announcements. So I hope that's cool with you guys. I know a lot of people are always like, uh, hey, stop talking about yourself and just stick to boxing. Well, you know, it's my freaking show. If I want to talk about myself, I'm going to. So we'll keep it short. All right. But some announcements to make some cool stuff, uh, a mix of good and bad, you know, as is uh, most things in life. And then, of course, we'll get to the big review. We had a bunch of interesting stuff last week. Uh, some upsets in different parts of the world and some ring returns. Some guys that have been out of the ring for a while, got back in the ring and looked pretty good. And then we had um, a complete undisputed at 154 pounds. And this time there was no controversy. So some really, really good stuff, man. And then we'll preview what's coming up this week. Okay. And of course we'll take your guys phone calls. So uh, let's get right into this. Let me um, real quick. Uh, interesting question that John in the chat um, hit us with right away. And uh, I think, you know, it was, it was worth uh, just getting into real quick. Uh, he says, part of me wonders if Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, of course, would have been, uh, would have done better with Tyson Fury's current trainer, Sugar Hill Stewart. Also the similarities of Shakur Valdez and Canelo versus Bevel bouts were eerily similar, uh, limited and flat-footed and getting peppered all night and un unable to make adjustments by Eddie Reynoso. I just wonder if Triple G would have good chemistry with Sugar Hill. Thoughts, anyone? So it's an interesting question. Um, look, as far as Eddie Reynoso, I, I know a lot of people are dumping on him right now because he's had a couple of uh, you know tough outings recently, as fighters have. But they were matched really tough. If, if we're being really, really fair, let's start with Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson. Everybody favored Stevenson heavily in that fight. And just style-wise and everything else, it really it looked like a welterweight versus a featherweight in there. It really, really did. Um, Valdez has always been fairly limited. And the win against Burchelt, um, it, maybe there is a little bit of smoke and mirrors happening right there. It was just perfect matchmaking and development by top rank. They are truly the best in the business at doing that. They know what they're doing with Shakur Stevenson. So I don't really put that on Eddie Reynoso. The game plan didn't look very good, but what were they going to do? They were just very limited in there. Now, as far as Canelo versus Bevel, I think there's several different things that were going on with that. I do think that the game plan on the Canelo side was poor. And it looked like their preparation, and which of course includes game plan, um, and the execution by Canelo was lackluster. I, I, I think perhaps they got a little too big-headed going into that fight. Remember, they were talking about fighting Oleksandr Usyk, which is just hilarious. 
so yeah, I agree with the situation with Reynoso, but your question about, I agree to a, a, an extent, but I also disagree. Okay. I think Reynoso is getting beat up on a little bit too much right now. I think it had more to do with uh, his horses in those races, if you will, than anything else. Um, but triple G you got to remember he's training with um, Jonathan Banks and he comes from Detroit too. He comes from that world. So he's getting a little bit, not necessarily just strictly crunk training. Although Sugar Hill Stewart, I should mention, I, I won't give details on this show because I know that um, I've been told some things off the record, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a crunk guy right now. Not really, not the current crunk team anyway. Uh, there's a little bit of there's been a split there. That's all I'm going to say right now uh, publicly. But uh, anyway, Jonathan Banks is from that world too. So Golovkin's getting a little bit of that seasoning and in, tra- in, in the new training and development that he's getting. He's looked pretty good right now. Yeah, maybe he could he could benefit from working with Sugar Hill Stewart. But I think right now he's got a pretty good thing going, Jonathan Banks. And he's the biggest... Uh, act that Banks is working with. And that's what Golovkin needs right now. If he were to go over with Sugar Hill Stewart, Stewart is still involved with Tyson Fury and Golovkin would have to split time because I think Fury is going to fight again. So I I just don't know if that's the best uh, situation for him right now. But it's an interesting question. Interesting that you brought up. So I wanted to get to that. But um, let's go into these news and notes, guys. And again, it's going to be a little bit uh, personal today. But uh, let's start with my, I had a fight last Friday here in Atlanta. And I came up short, man. Um, I lost a split decision. And it's only, it hasn't even been 72 hours yet. So I'm still processing a lot of it. There's a little bit of ups and downs. Um, of course, I'm disappointed. That goes without saying. But I'm not devastated. It's really not that big of a deal, guys. It's just a fight. And I think some of my friends and family and supporters online and my MOB family here are probably more upset about it than I am, to be honest with you. I don't quite know what that means, though. I, there's part of me that questions whether I still got the same fire. Uh, things in my life are changing. I'll be 43 years old next month. I just don't know. Let, let, me, let me say a couple different things. I don't want to spend too long talking about this. Um, but the fight itself, okay? There are a lot of there were a lot of circumstances coming in that I didn't realize how negatively those things affected me and um, affected my preparation, mo- mostly mentally than anything, and my focus. I didn't really recognize and realize it until after it all happened so fast. It's it's two minute rounds. It's three rounds. It's six minutes. It's really really fast in there. You train hundreds of rounds for you know eight weeks or whatever to do six minutes in the amateurs it's crazy right and uh, i learned some hard lessons in this fight but i came out slow i came out just flat and my opponent came out and started real fast he clearly won the first round he landed a couple of shots that honestly surprised me um he had made improvements since because i had fought this guy before and i beat him pretty clearly you know i shut him out in the rounds scored multiple, uh, you know, um, standing eight counts. So, so I kind of came expecting the same thing from him, which was dumb and ignorant. Uh, and so did my coach. And so did my whole team, honestly, he, he had improved. He, he, uh, he was inspired. He was fighting 
definitely inspired. But more than that, he had actually made some technical improvements. So he surprised me in the first round. I wasn't ready. And I had to play catch up. I am proud of myself because I did that. In the second round, I finally started going a little bit. I still was a little too too gun shy. I didn't let my hands go enough because I was trying to set up counter punches. I was waiting for him to punch so I could punch. And, and I was trying to fight almost more pro style, three minute round style, instead of just throwing punches and, and just going for it, which is more of what the amateurs is. And it's something I kind of, you know, another lesson I learned the hard way this weekend. Um, and so the second round was close. And you could make an argument. I maybe edged it. You could clear. You could definitely make an argument. He won it because he had the momentum coming in. It's really what you preferred. I maybe won the second half of that round, the second minute of the round. He won the first round of, or sorry, the first minute of that round, if that makes any sense. And then the third round, I clearly won. By the third round, I had kind of figured out what he was doing. If it finally, I was like, oh, okay, here's his game plan. Here's what he's doing now. It really took me a couple rounds to get it. And then I was like, okay, now I know exactly what to expect. And I clearly won the third round. In fact, I think I won the third round more clearly than he won the first round because I scored a standing eight count. I scored the only standing eight count of the fight. I hurt him clearly. He landed multiple punches on me. I mean, he landed several really, really good shots. He never hurt me. He never buzzed me. He never backed me up or locked me up. But I pushed him back and, and buzzed him a little bit in the second round and then clearly in the third. Um, so part of me was like, hey, man, maybe I did enough to pull this out. We go to the cards. You know, I, I just I had him buzzed in that third round. I just didn't get him out of there. And I should have. I should have at least tried. And I didn't. I kind of was complacent thinking, all right, I got the standing eight. We're probably going to be okay. Be smart. Don't get hit with any stupid shit anymore like you did early in the fight. Just finish strong, and the judges will see that you're the guy finishing strong. He started strong, but I finished strong. That's kind of That was kind of my mentality in there, which now I look back, and I'm like, dude, that's a really complacent mentality. That's not the mentality of a guy that's hungry. That's the mentality of a guy going through the motions, you know? So I'm a little disappointed in myself. But um, look, so one of the judges gave it to me. Two of the judges gave it to him. And really, uh, all three judges gave him the first round. All three judges gave me the third. And then the judges were split on that second round. Eh, it is what it is. So I'll, I'll, I'll add this. Um, and, and, you know, you always see this stuff in 2020 hindsight. Even when I won my last fight and won big, um, there were a lot of things I saw. It's like, oh, man, I could have changed this. I could have done this different. And I did make some adjustments in camp. I learned from some things I did wrong in camp before. I felt good coming in. I was in shape. Physically, I was there. Physically, I knew what to do because I had been through it. And I actually think I physically trained smarter for this camp. But mentally, the edge and being 100% focused and dedicated and having my heart in it, clearly that wasn't there. And I got to be honest, guys, I knew that coming into the fight. But I told myself, and this was my ego talking, and my ego, my ego had to get checked. Honestly, I got to own that. Um, it wasn't just my ego. It was my coach's ego and my training partner's ego because we all kind of said the same thing. We beat this guy before. All we got to do is show up and do the same damn thing. That's all we got to do. Just show up and do what we did last time. That was really just a dumb way of thinking. And it was um, cocky. 
And it was the ego and the pride talking. Also, I made multiple concessions going into this event. And sometimes in life, you are feeling confident and maybe dismissive of a situation you're going into. And so you say, you know what, I'll compromise. I'll make a concession here, make a, a compromise there. And that's what I did here. Um, originally, when I was approached to do this event that I fought on, I thought I'd be fighting somebody different. And I was like, cool. Then I was told, hey, you know, is it okay if you fight this guy again? And I really wasn't cool with that because I could talk about, I could do an hour long video talking about this. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but the gym that I, my home gym is closed right now because they're repairing the roof. So I had to go down and train at my opponent's gym. So I would be in there training and working and sparring and doing drills and him and his corner would be watching me. <laughs> so they literally just sit and sat and took notes for about 10 weeks. Um, that's not all they did, of course, but I was having to go into his backyard to train. I actually had to split my time in this camp between three different gyms. I would, whenever I could arrange it in my schedule, I go down to Buckhead Fight Club, which is where this fight was, and that's his home gym. I do think that may have played a factor in the scoring of that second round. I don't know. I lost the damn fight. I lost the damn fight. That's it. I own it. Okay. No robbery, nothing like that. You can. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you were going to flip a coin, or I'm going to say, if you were going to edge it to one guy, 5149, you edge it his way because he started better. He started faster. All right. I want to make that clear and put that on the record. But going down there and having to train at his gym, fighting at his gym, then the promotion said, um, I, I told them I'd like to fight early on the card. I told them, you know, my wife is pregnant. She gets tired early. I don't want to be there till one in the morning. She's going to be tired. So can you put us early on in the card? The last one, I was the main event. I didn't go on till almost, I think it was past 11 o'clock PM. I got a pregnant wife. So uh, by the way, I just gave away my next announcement without even realizing it. Dope. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but um, most of you guys already know because you follow me on social. You saw my post yesterday. <clears throat> but for some of you, I just completely blew a surprise. I'm an idiot sometimes. Anyway, um, they obliged me. They put me first. We were the first fight, which on the surface was like kind of, hey, this is cool. But as it worked out, um, they wanted me to walk to the ring first, even though I had beat this guy. So I did the ring walk first. I was in the visiting corner. He was in the A-side home team corner. So I made all these concessions that gave him every possible advantage and really put me at a working disadvantage. And I guess I was okay with that going in because people were saying things in my ear and I listened to that and maybe it stroked my ego a little bit and I didn't really pay attention to what was going on. And by the time I was there in the moment, it was just like, what the hell is going on? I'm in the blue corner. I'm walking out first, even though I won the last fight. Um, it's in his home gym. I'm the first guy walking out on the card. And by the way, we get to the ring, right? Ring doctor's not there. So we have to wait about 10 minutes for the ring doctor to show up. So all my sweat and everything, and I was warmed up, whoosh, dried all up. It just was a bad situation. It just, you know, all that being said, it was a close, tight fight. I was able to get in there and kind of work my way back in. You got four or five rounds. Maybe I could have did a lot. I know I could have did a lot more because the momentum had changed, but it was too little, too late. And that is 100% 
my fault. So, guys, I took a split decision L. And you know what? It's not that big of a deal. It's just a fight. It's going to be okay. And um, I just learned a ton of great lessons that I can use as uh, in my career as a boxing writer, a boxing analyst, uh, seeing things. It's one thing to comment on something as an observer. It's another thing to comment on something from life experience, literal life experience. And even the negotiation side of a fight and the mental preparation and all the different things, being ready, starting fast, being first. I was last in this fight, but I wasn't first, you know? Um, just all those lessons, all those things that I could take with me into boxing, uh, whether I fight again or not, I don't know yet, but, um, I, I'm going to take my time and think about that. I know several of you guys would be like, yo, run it back right away. I don't know. I'm going to, I don't want to make an emotional decision based on ego. I want to make a rational decision based on intellect. So I need to really sit and process, but, um, these are awesome lessons. And so I'm just trying to look at it from a positive point of view. It's not like I went in there and got dominated. It's not like I got clipped or knocked out or knocked down or anything like that. I just started too damn late and I was too gun shy. I didn't let my hands go enough. And if I could give you guys two points of advice from my, it's like I said, it hasn't even been 72 hours, but from the lessons I've learned so far from this situation, if I could give you two pointers, okay. For those of you competing, in the amateurs at any level, okay? Uh, whether you're just starting out, you're really young, or even if you're experienced, you guys already know this. But um, what I learned from this is the amateur system is not set up where skills and craft and the sweet science and all that really play a part. It's really just about going in there and being aggressive and letting your hands go. Forget about craft. Defense really doesn't even matter. It's just about getting yourself in position, letting your hands go, and scoring punches. They really don't even score body punching that much. It's really about headshots. And you got two minutes. And I'll also say this. You got three rounds. 90% of the time, the person who – it might even be 95% of the time – the person who wins the first round is going to win the fight in the amateurs. Go out and start fast. Let your hands go you're going to win the damn fight 90 plus percent of the time. I promise you, I learned that the hard way this time. All right. Second thing, a second piece of advice I could give. Don't make concessions. Don't make compromises when you don't have to. It's okay to say no. It's okay sometimes. And this is something that maybe I didn't quite understand as much. And maybe I've been too hard on certain fighters in the past who were trying to negotiate things to their advantage, uh, who had earned the right to do that. Um, and I kind of had to learn this lesson the hard way. And, and also, let me say, it's, my situation is like a microscopic little, you know, molecule compared to the real professional fighter situations. I'm not trying to make an apples to apples comparison. I'm just saying intellectually now from life experience, I can understand a little bit more of what they've gone through. Okay. Uh, so I, believe me, I, I'm not trying to exaggerate what I've done here. I'm, I want to make that very, very clear, but don't settle. Don't compromise. Don't put yourself at a disadvantage when you don't have to, just to be the good guy, just to be the guy that everyone likes just to be, um, or if you're just feeling, you're feeling yourself so much like, Oh, I could give this concession, that concession it don't matter because I'm going to show up and all I got to do is show up and that's going to be enough because I'm better. Well, it don't work like that in life. And it sure as hell don't work like that in boxing. You can't show up and do the same thing that you did before. You got to show up and be better because 
the other guy is going to be better. And even if he's not better, you still got to show up and be better because the people that saw you perform before, they have memories and they're going to want to see you do better. So um, just all these great lessons I learned, man, if I could give off uh, that advice to you guys. So now that I blew the next announcement, let me just go ahead and make it. Uh, <laughs> my wife, Tiffany, is pregnant and we are expecting our first child, a baby girl, this October. It's needless to say, I'm extremely, extremely happy and excited. There's a little bit of me freaking out, but that's like 10%. The other 90% is me just being really happy and excited about this. I also have to say, as it relates to the previous 20 minutes, you know, 15 minutes, I was just talking about my fight. It has changed my perspective on things and it has changed my priorities. The second my wife told me she was pregnant, things switched in my brain. And suddenly all the things that were really, really important at one point, maybe the, the things that were the most important last year when I was going through something very personal and I was being a little more self-centered and selfish because I had to work through something. Um, suddenly those things just took a back seat. And maybe that's why this split decision loss just isn't bothering me that bad because in five months, I'm going to be a father. <laughs> so um, it's just changed my perspective on things. And I don't know, maybe it's made me a little soft. I don't know. I don't know, guys. But um, I'm excited. Um, we have not decided on a name yet. I know a lot of people are asking that. We do have a short list. We have a list of like five names. Okay. And uh, my wife, she has a favorite. I have a favorite. We're disagreeing right now. She's probably going to win because, you know, she's doing all the hard work right now. So I, I got to let her win. She's probably going to win with the first name. Maybe I can get the middle name. Maybe we could compromise and I get the middle name. I get the last name anyway. So, um, so that's what's up with that. Um, we announced it yesterday publicly on um, social media. We, uh, by the way, my wife hit 16 weeks the day of my fight. So the day of my fight, I'm going to the weigh-in. My wife has to go to the doctor to get her 16-week blood test so they can, you know, do tests on the baby and make sure everything's good. Like every four weeks or so, you know, she has to go in and do ultrasounds or blood work or whatever. And I got to admit, guys, I'm at the weigh-in staring down my opponent and I'm thinking about my wife and taking my wife to the doctor to do her blood test. I'm not even thinking about my damn opponent. I, I can't wait to get the hell out of there and just and get to the doctor and, and be able to ask the doctor questions because I'm wondering about this. I'm wondering about that, you know, and um, that's just where my brain was. And, and my brain was like, I can't wait till this fight's over. I just need to get through this shit so that I can focus on taking care of Tiffany. And um, I'm not I, I want to make this very clear, too. It's not an excuse. Again, 100 percent my fault for not showing up and being flat uh, the first round, round and a half, uh, just not fighting anywhere near my potential. So I'm pissed, you know, I'm disappointed in myself, but um, there's just all these things going on, you know, and, and so it's been a very heavy time. And I won't get into um, too much uh, information about this other thing, but my mother is going through some very difficult health problems right now. My mother has lupus and um, things are difficult right now with her. So there's just a lot going on, you know, um, and it just makes you really think about life and priorities and such. Um, 
man, boxing has some great metaphors for life, doesn't it? So yes, very excited. Going to be a father soon. We don't have a name yet, but we'll figure it out. And then last thing, uh, last but not least, and then we can move forward to just to the real boxing, I promise, um, to the stuff you guys come here for. New York City, uh, June 18th. I will be there. My wife will be there. We've got our tickets booked. We've got our hotel booked. We will be there to see Artur Baturbiev, or better Biev, however you want to say it, go up against Joe Smith Jr. and um, unify three of the light heavyweight world titles. So we will be there, guys. Any of my New York brothers and sisters up there that want to meet up, let me know. Maybe we could do a meetup at Jimmy's Corner or something um, after the weigh-in or or before the fight or both. Because <laughs> now I can I can have a beer or two. I could get a Junior's Cheesecake while we're up there. You know, we could go down to Little Italy in Chinatown, get some good food. So, yes, we'll be up there in New York. We got a few weeks to discuss that and plan something. But I definitely love to meet some of you guys, particularly you guys up there in that part of the country that I haven't met yet. I think that'll be a lot of fun. We're staying literally like four or five blocks from Madison Square Garden. So we're going to be right there at Times Square in Midtown. We'll be right in the heart of everything. So we should do a couple meetups or something. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And uh, you guys can um, see Tiffany showing. She's starting the show. Um, She's like, I've gained 20 pounds. Oh, my God. I'm like, baby. You're supposed to gain weight. This is the time you get to be fat. Eat whatever you want. All right. So, uh, yes, that is it for the announcements. Um, let me make sure I didn't miss anything here in the chat. And and by the way, I appreciate I've received hundreds and hundreds of messages about my fight, of course, but more so about um, about the announcement, you know, um, that that we're expecting. And you guys are just too freaking awesome, man. So thank you so much. I'm probably going to need some advice from you guys. I've never, I've never changed a diaper, not once. I've never changed a diaper in my life. So I'm about to change a thousand of them. I'm going to need some help from some of you guys. Uh, Papa Chubby with the super chat. Thank you so much, bro. He says, Mike, amateur boxing is about quantity and quality. Losses happen and are a part of it. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm realizing that. And, um, one thing I've kind of learned too, you know, I train with a lot of pros and because of my job, I've worked around a lot of pro boxers and a lot of pro trainers, guys who strictly train pros for 90% of the time. You know, I've, I've been to a lot of amateur events and, and seen, you know, amateurs train and stuff, but working with pro fighters, training with pro fighters, um, both as, you know, training partners, but also my coaches being former pros you kind of start to develop more of a pro style and you start to develop more of a three minute round style, a five round fight, six round fight style where you want to see a round or two before you start setting things up. And that's the way I fought this fight. And it was just so stupid to do that. Um, I can only beat myself up for that, you know? Um, And I, I really, really, I'd love to do a pro fight because I really, really think that, with the way I like to box, I'd look better in that world. You know, it goes against my nature to just want to come out in the first round and start brawling. Not because I don't, I can't handle a brawl. Believe me, I had a brawl Friday night and I handled myself, but um, it's not that it's that my style is to want to see what you're doing and take a round or two, because that's what everybody around me does, you know? So um, it's difficult to kind of, get that out of your mind and just say, ah, forget about technique and just go out there and throw. 
And when I started doing that in this fight, you know, toward the end of the second round and the whole third round, I was like, God, this probably looks so ugly. I really thought that in my mind. I'm like, I'm pro- I probably look like a caveman in there. I'm not throwing straight punches. I'm just brawling. And I kind of just had to get that out of my brain. It is what it is. Okay, let's get into this review because we have much to discuss. Um, hopefully I didn't bore the hell out of you guys with that and sound like a crybaby. Believe me, I give my opponent full credit. He really, really showed improvements and he did what he was supposed to do. He came out there and started fast and I give him credit for taking some of the shit I hit him with. Cause I know I hurt that guy late in that fight. He really wanted to win. So credit to him 100% and his team for doing their homework. All right. Fight review Friday, May 13th. We go over to Italy, Milano, Italia. Matchroom boxing and a card over there. Um, this was broadcast on the zone, obviously. A crowd of over 6,000. And Matchroom is really starting to build something over in Italy. They're starting to kind of build an Italian boxing scene. And 6,000 people doesn't sound like a whole lot because you guys have seen huge crowds recently in some of these big events. I understand that. But this is a pretty good crowd for a, a little Friday night fight in Milano. Pretty good. So, so Eddie Hearn is building something over there. But we had an upset special, and we had a guy take his first loss, an Italian take his first loss. There was something in the air Friday. <laughs> now I don't feel so bad anymore. Daniela Scardina takes his first pro loss. Uh, TKO5, this was very one-sided. Giovanni Di Carolis, 37 years old, an experienced fringe contender fighter, started fast. There's so many parallels here that I could relate to. Started very, very fast. And uh, Scardina came back, I want to say, in the third round and had a moment. But this was really one-way traffic. And Di Carolis, I think in the fourth round, uh, landed a huge shot on Scardina that dropped him. He got up because Scardina is a tough guy, in shape, you know, very good athlete, uh, and wanted to fight. But he did not know where he was was clearly out on his feet, had been saved by the bell. Uh, he was dropped like right before the end of the fourth round, right? And the referee basically kind of picks him up and walks him to his corner. Somehow between the referee and uh, Scardino's corner, they did not stop this fight, which they all should have. One of them should have stepped up and, and stopped it. But Scardino was the A-side and came into this supposed to win, right? This was basically him going to beat the old Italian veteran and really be the new guy, the new face of Italian boxing. And he failed. And um, they brought him out in the fifth round. And he took several punches in the beginning of the fifth round that he should have never took, was beat up even worse. And, of course, the fight immediately is over there in the fifth round, TKO5 win for D. Carolis. But it shouldn't. we shouldn't have seen a fifth round. So it's kind of disgusting. But everyone I saw... Uh, some people online and, and I looked in some Italian forums and they were all bitching about the ref, these Italian fans. And what I was wanting to tell these guys is you should be bitching at the corner. Everyone over there is mad at the ref for not stopping the fight. What about Scardina's corner? That's who you should be mad at because if the ref is afraid to stop the fight because he's afraid the promotion might whack him, <laughs> which the referee might've been worried about something like that. Hey, how about the corner step up and protect their fighter? That was just really, really bad. Uh, just a bad showing from Scardina's corner. But look, um, Scardina had had some tough calls 
and and it finally caught up with him in this fight. He just doesn't have the defense. That's something him and his team need to drastically work on. Uh, so he takes this. I want to say he was 20 and 0 coming into this fight. He's now 20 and 1. And there's going to be serious questions about this guy going forward. All right. So that's what happened on Friday. And that, by the way, guys, that was an upset, but it wasn't the only one. Uh, Saturday, May 14th, over in uh, France, Tony Yoka loses a majority decision. The scorecards were terrible. This should have been an absolute unanimous decision. This was every bit as one-sided of a fight. In fact, it was more one-sided than Dimitri Bivol's win over Canelo Alvarez. For those of you who, ha who haven't seen it, just to put it in perspective, okay? Martin Bacole, who is a Congo native, who now lives and trains out of the UK, scores the majority decision win over Tony Yoko in France. This, I believe, was picked up by ESPN Plus, by the way. So you guys in America with the ESPN Plus app, you can check this out. Scores were 96-92. Even that was bad. 95-93, and then 94-94. Oh, my God. Now, Yoko was dropped twice in this fight, okay? So to have it 94-94 means that one judge that had it, that score, had Tony Yoko winning. Absolutely terrible score. This was a 10-round fight. Maybe you could give Yoko a couple rounds, Okay, drop twice. Maybe you could give him a couple rounds. So if you look at the two knockdowns, essentially one judge had this a draw and the other judge had Yoko winning. That's insane. That's just insane. I, I did these scorecards much worse than what we saw with Canelo Bevel, even though those were bad scorecards. These were worse. So uh, Martin Bacole. He's, he's fought some solid heavyweights. He came into this fight having fought some guys like Sergey Kuzmin. Um, who else did he fight? He's, he's fought a couple names. I, he might have fought Michael Hunter, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember for sure. But he's fought a couple top guys. Not, not top guys, but solid guys. Top 20, maybe. And, um, you know, look decent. He has a lot of power. And he's durable. Maybe not the most athletic guy or the most skilled guy. But durable and power, and boy, do those two things matter a lot in the pros. Um, and if you don't take guys like that seriously, it can cost you. And Tony Yoka, was, this was another one where he was really expected to win this fight, right? This was supposed to be a, a step up in opposition a little bit against a guy that was durable, could go rounds with him, but his skill set is his superior uh Boxing craft and experience, you know, Yoka had that big amateur career, was supposed to win him this fight. And, uh, whoa, did he did he just fail this test? So I don't know what to think of Tony Yoka at this point. And Martin Bacole, do I think he's ready to take on the likes of Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk? No, of course not. He's, gonna, he's not going to beat those guys. But he could give anybody a tough night uh, on any night in this division, anybody. And I think that he would give those guys some tough work for sure. Tyson Fury, he'd give them some tough, sure, he'd certainly give them a tougher fight than Dillian White did. Absolutely would. Uh, but am I ready to put him in the top 10 or anything? No, not going to go there. But um, obviously the biggest win of his career. If you're Tony Yoka's team, do you want to run this back? I don't know about that. All right, so let's go over to America, specifically Southern California, where you had three fight cards in the Metro Los Angeles area. Pretty crazy. Uh, this doesn't happen a whole heck of a lot, but um, if it's going to happen anywhere in America, LA makes sense. So uh, let's start with the Golden Boy card at the Toyota Center in Ontario, California on the zone. 
Gilberto Ramirez improves to 44-0. KO4 win over Germany's Dominic Bozell. Uh, Zerto, he's at light heavyweight now. He is the mandatory challenger for the WBA light heavyweight titleist, Dimitri Bevel. So, Dimitri Bevel, you would think in his next fight, well, he's got three options. Three. A guy who had no options for years suddenly has all these options. Bevel is either going to do a rematch with Canelo Alvarez. And believe me, if the WBA says, hey, we're going to strip you if you don't fight Zerto, but Canelo wants to do a rematch, b- believe me, Bevel's going to throw that belt in the dumpster and, t- and take the Canelo rematch, okay? Because cha-ching. But it's either going to be the Canelo rematch or it's going to be um, a fight with Zerto to defend his WBA title, which is a fantastic stylistic matchup. Or... There's the possible opportunity, you know, maybe Zerto takes step aside money for Beevil to go after the winner between Better Beev and Smith, which would be a full unification at 175. So suddenly, Dimitri Beevil has amazing options. He's in a really, really good place. Sign me up for any three of those fights, by the way. And I got to say, the fight I want to see least is the rematch with Canelo because I just think Beevil wins again. Unless it's at 168, that makes it a little spicier, a little more interesting. But um, if it ends up being Bevel versus Zerto, I like that fight. That's an entertaining light heavyweight scrap between two undefeated guys. Also on this card, William Zapeda Sagura approved to 26-0, lightweight prospect, uh, with the unanimous decision win over tough, rugged veteran Rene Alvarado. That's a good developmental win for Sagura. Real good. And then we go over to Inglewood, California. It was Triller Fight Club. This card was on Fight TV. And we saw a couple of ring returns. I talked about upsets and ring returns. This card had a couple ring returns featuring guys uh, from the Eastern European area of the world, specifically one Russian, the crusher, Sergei Kovalev. Unanimous decision win over Tervel Pulev, who took his first loss as a pro in the cruiserweight debut for Kovalev. Kovalev uh, had not fought since his KO loss to Canelo Alvarez in November of 2019. So he had not been in the ring for, what, two and a half years. Looked pretty good for a guy that just moved up 20-some-odd pounds. Um, yeah, he looked okay. And what he did in this fight was basically just work behind the jab and just box Pulev's ass off. And, look, Pulev was a pretty good amateur, guys. Um, Tervel Pulev is the lesser of the, of the Pulev brothers. And he hasn't really done shit as a pro. His resume is crap as a pro, but he's a solid fighter. Uh, this was a good first cruiserweight fight for Kovalev. And, you know, especially coming off a two-year layoff, people forget Tervel Pulev was a pretty good amateur 2012 Olympian. So uh, this is a guy who knows how to box a little bit. That's a solid win for Kovalev. And I got to ask this. What if Kovalev ends up winning a belt at cruiserweight? I think a lot of people would um, already say that Kovalev probably has a Hall of Fame-worthy resume. But what if he goes on to win a belt at 200? That really secures his legacy as a Hall of Famer. And crazier things have happened. It's possible. Uh, so, look, when this, fight, when this fight was first announced, I was like, I don't know about this. I really don't. But Kovalev looked pretty good. I got to give it to him. Um, at Cruiserweight, he's just going to be a guy who works behind the jab and has to box. So his stamina is going to have to be there and his focus and his craft is going to have to be a level. 
he can't just go in there and try to you know hurt dudes because he's not going to at cruiserweight. Um, but it's going to be kind of interesting to watch and see what he can do. And if somehow he can get in the title mix and win a legit world title at 200 pounds, that's a pretty good, pretty damn good career. And it'd be first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. So despite all the issues Kovalev has had outside the ring and some of the divisive things he has said and done, if you separate that from what he's done in the ring, despite the inconsistencies, the knockout losses and stuff, man, I, I don't know. If he goes on a little run here at Cruiserweight, it's pretty impressive. Also on this card, the return of heavyweight, the other Pulev brother, the better Pulev brother, Kubrat Pulev, with a unanimous decision win over Jerry Forrest. And that, that's a pretty good win for Pulev, considering the recent run Forrest has been on. He's been on a, I just said run and Forrest in the same sentence. Oh my God, I just thought of Forrest Gump. One of the dumbest, dumbest idiots on earth. And Jenny was just a horrible person. Anyway, sorry, tangent. When you hear Forrest run in the same sentence, you can't help it. Anyway, Jerry Forrest had been on a pretty good run lately. And this was a pretty solid performance from Pulev. Uh, you know, didn't set the world on fire, but a good overall performance from him. He hadn't fought since his KO loss to Anthony Joshua in 2020. So he had been out of the ring for about a year and a half himself. So this was two pretty good ring returns. I was surprised at these returns for Kovalev and Kubrat Pulev. Also on this card, uh, upset special. This was another one that wasn't supposed to go this way. There was something in the air this weekend, fellas. I'm telling you, and ladies, I'm sure there's a few ladies watching too. There was a, just something in the air this weekend. Evan Holyfield, Evander Holyfield, one of his 14,000 sons. Evan Holyfield lost via KO2 to uh, a guy who was a 500 fighter coming in. That was not supposed to happen. Uh, Fernando Vargas Jr. got a KO1 win, right? That was Fernando Vargas's son. That's what was supposed to happen with all these prospects. Evan Holyfield, KO2 loss to a 500 fighter. Uh, that's going to be a tough one for him to return from. Really tough. And then we go over to the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, southern Los Angeles. It was TGB Promotions putting on this card, PBC on Showtime. In the co-main, Jerron Boots Ennist, KO2 win over Custio Clayton. Of course, this was a welterweight bout. Jerron Ennis is probably the best fighter in boxing right now who doesn't have a world title. And um, I don't know. That's... That's saying a lot because there, there's a lot of guys. Maybe that's, I don't know what that's saying. There's a lot of guys who have titles or portions of titles that are not nearly as good as Jerron Boots Ennis, right? Because the WBA is 5,000 titles per division. The WBC is starting to follow their lead in some of these divisions. You have all these interim belts and all this other stuff. So in an era where there's just belts everywhere, Jerron Ennis is one guy who doesn't have one of those belts. He's got to be the best fighter in the world that doesn't have a portion of a world title. Um, he's I, I really, really feel he is ready for anybody at welterweight right now. I'm including Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence in that. Yes, I'm saying it. Um, now, experience-wise, is he probably going to beat those guys at this level? Probably not. Although with Spence, in terms of style... He might beat Errol Spence right now. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Terrence Crawford style just would be difficult for him right now. Um, but he would give those guys their toughest fight. I, I really, really, really believe that. And I really think he would beat 
almost anybody else in the division right now. I just think he's a really, really great talent. But in the main event, Jermel Charlo, KO10 win over Brian Castaño. This, of course, was a rematch, a complete unification of the junior middleweight division. Going into the 10th round, the scores were wide for Charlo. Uh, 89-82, 88-83, 87-84. I picked Charlo by decision in this fight. And that was that's been my pick since months ago check the record guys i've been saying it for months so i don't sit there and brag when i get stuff right i didn't i mean charlo got the stoppage so i didn't necessarily get this right but when this was announced that they were going to do a rematch even before that when you kind of knew they were going to go this direction i just always felt charlo would have the edge in the rematch i felt that uh he he could win on the cards even if it was close based on what we saw in the first fight i thought that he would make the adjustments I thought there was a little more substance there to him and the things he could do in terms of craft than what Castaño does. I think we got the most out of what Castaño could do in that first fight, and Charlo stepped it up, and he deserves credit. He is now the undisputed 154-pound champion of the world. This was a, a pretty much an even fight halfway through. It felt like a three-rounds-to-three kind of fight halfway through. Maybe you could have it 4-2 Charlo, but then – in the second half, Charlo just took over. He found another level, and he uh, left the judges out of it. He left no doubt, dropped Castaño twice in the 10th round. He was more active in this fight. He threw more punches, and not just the jab, but right hands, uh, body shots, left hooks. He did just a little bit more of everything. He started with the jab, of course, but he threw more punches, and he varied up his attack, and he started faster in this fight. So uh, Charlo just did a, a great job. The question now is, where do you rate Jermel Charlo on the pound for pound list? And that's the big debate right now, okay? And I'm, I'm going to get into that a little bit. Before I do that, though, I got to talk about this. Um, I, I have a comparison to make here that, you know, it's not apples to apples, but I think you guys will understand where I'm going with this. I seem to see... And I felt that all along, Jamal Charlo, who's currently at middleweight, seems to get a little more love from boxing analysts and pundits, more so than Jermel. And I don't understand that. I always hear that, oh, well, Jamal is the better one. He's got more talent. He's more explosive. He's got more upside. And I think a lot of people base that on the fact that Jermel has a couple losses. He officially has a draw with Castaño, but most people thought he lost that first fight. And then he lost the first fight with Tony Harrison. And I think a lot of people undersell what Jermel Charlo has done because he's had those losses and maybe been a little inconsistent in his performances compared to Jermall, who's undefeated, but hasn't faced near the same level of opposition as Jermel. And it made me think a little bit, Again, this is not apples to apples, but it made me think a little bit about the Klitschko brothers because I'm thinking about two boxing brothers where there's just a lot of people that prefer Vitaly and thought he was the much better fighter. And their reason for that is, you know, he didn't have those losses to fighters that he should have beat. He actually had won the Chris Berg, but um, people loved the fight with Lennox Lewis. But I think a lot of people underrated what Vlad did because he had several losses to guys that on paper he really should have beat. Um, but when you look at their resumes, 
Vladimir's resume is so much better than Vitaly's. And I'm a fan of both of them. You know, I was a huge Vitaly fan as, as well as a, a Vladimir fan. But their resumes are light years apart. And for me, it's the same thing with the Charlo brothers. Uh, I, I enjoy watching both of them fight. But Jamel is so much more accomplished right now than Jamal. It doesn't matter if he lost. It doesn't matter if he got a draw. Who cares? It's just a loss. It happens. Just about every fighter ever in this sport has lost. And even the guys that, you know, like Floyd Mayweather, who retired undefeated as a pro, look at his amateur record. He lost as an amateur. Every boxer loses. Stop overrating losses so much. It's not that big of a deal if you learn from it. And clearly, Jermel Charlo learned from his losses. He showed improvements coming off of those losses. So I, I just think the guy deserves credit. Now, as it relates to pound for pound, okay, and, and recognition and all that, I think a lot of people are put off by the Charlos and their personalities. Um, they're, they're kind of polarizing and they have surly personalities. I think ornery is the word. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They're just kind of like um, every, every family has that like uncle who's just a, just a, always mad, you know? Oh, crazy uncle Charlie. Of course he's yelling at the mailman again, whatever, you know, like every, every family has that crazy uncle or something. And that's kind of how the Charlos are. They're just, they're, they're, I understand that their personality upsets people. And if you separate that again, kind of like Sergey Kovalev before, um, and we can say this about a lot of fighters, separate the personal from the actual ring accomplishment. Okay. Jermel Charlo is an undisputed champion. And there are other guys in recent years who have done this. Um, Alexander Usyk, Josh Taylor, uh, Canelo Alvarez, of course, and Terrence Crawford. All those guys got on the pound for pound list. Now, several of them, maybe all of them. Now, actually, in the case of Taylor and Usyk, it's not true. Those guys were not on the pound for pound list necessarily until they completely unified and cleaned out a division, right? But when they became undisputed, they hit the pound for pound list and deservingly so. I think Charlo deserves it. I think you got to rate Charlo on the pound for pound list right now. And I understand what some of you out there are going to say. You're going to say, Mike, Charlo's undisputed run is not as impressive as some of those other guys. When you consider that those other guys either moved up in weight or fought on the road or um, what was the other thing? Um, or consolidated the, the division much faster than Charlo did or all of the above. And that's true. Okay, I get it. However, Charlo still did it. And yes, he's fought only at one weight. He's never had to move up in weight. Yes, he's never fought on the road. He's never had to go into a champion's territory and fight them here, fight them there. Yes, it took him years to consolidate the 154 division that the PBC has owned since their inception, what, seven years ago, six, seven years ago? Why did it take this long to unify the division? Those are fair questions. Those are fair points to make, all right? Crawford moved up from 35 to 40 to unify a very, if we're being honest, an incredibly weak 140 division. But he did move up in weight to do it, and he did it very fast. Canelo moved up in weight 
and very quickly unified, if we're being honest, a very weak super middleweight division. So we can pick apart their runs too. Um, Josh Taylor, I was really impressed with what he did at 140. What Usyk did at 200 pounds is unprecedented. I think he's actually underrated by many fans and observers uh, and analysts. Uh, even the ones that rate him number one pound for pound are still probably underrating his accomplishments. But all that being said, I think you got to put Charlo there. Now, here's the question. And here's where I'm going to share my screen. So for those of you listening to the audio, don't worry. I will talk about uh, what I'm doing here. I am showing my screen on the Ring Magazine website, our current pound for pound ratings. Here is the question. Who do you bump off this list? to add Jamel Charlo? And it's a difficult question. And this is what the Ring Ratings Committee has been debating all weekend. And I'll let you guys know what I think, but I'll tell you, I'm in the minority. But I look at this list, okay? This is our current pound for pound list. I'm gonna scroll so you can see everybody. And real quick, I'm just gonna run this down. We've got Usyk, Crawford, Inouye, Spence, Estrada, Canelo, Lomachenko, Bevel, Taylor, and Chocolatito. That is our current top 10. Now, there are four fighters on this list who have not fought yet this year and do not currently have a fight scheduled. They are Alexander Usyk, Terrence Crawford, Juan Francisco Estrada, Vasily Lomachenko. So let's talk specifically about those four. Real quick, Usyk, I think it's quite understandable why he hasn't had a fight scheduled yet. His country's at war. He's been over to helping with the war effort. But we know that he has been cleared by the military in his homeland to start negotiations and do the rematch with Joshua. It's already being discussed. They're negotiating and working out details. The rumor is it's going to be Saudi Arabia. So we know he's going to fight in the second half of this year, <clears throat> probably over the summer. And we know it's going to be against Joshua, who is the third best heavyweight in the world right now. It's Fury, Usyk, and then Joshua, right? So that's pound for pound. He gets a pass. Terrence Crawford, no fights yet this year, but we know that he is in negotiations with PBC to do a fight against Errol Spence. Now, Crawford has made it clear he doesn't want to tune up. He wants to go right to Spence. Spence, to his credit, has said the same damn thing. A lot of people don't think they're going to fight this year. They're, they're negative on it because of the way business is done on, on that side of the street. But let's be optimistic. Terrence Crawford's negotiating a fight, and, and assuming he gets a fight against Spence later this year, he gets a pass. So I'm good with leaving those guys on the list right where they are at, okay? Estrada. Estrada, a lot of people think that he tried to kind of find a way out of that Chocolatito rematch. I'm not going to get into that. Either way, he has a fight against Franco coming up, right? I think it's a mandatory, and there's a purse bid situation where he's going to fight Josh Franco. That's a solid fight. Estrada gets a pass. Let's get to Lomachenko. And here's where I'm going to get controversial, and I'm probably going to piss some of you off. Vasily Lomachenko has not fought this year, does not have a fight scheduled, and he has made it very clear through his team that he's probably not going to fight this year. Also, if we look at his last three fights, he lost to Tiafima Lopez, and then he beat Komei and Nakatani. Komei and Nakatani are good wins, especially when you consider that Lomachenko is a featherweight fighting at lightweight. So he beat two top 10 lightweights as a featherweight. Those are good wins. I wouldn't call them great or outstanding wins, 
but they're good wins considering he's a, a, a featherweight that fights at lightweight. So overall, if he was active, I think that'd be enough to keep him on the list. But considering the last three opponents and how things have gone in those fights, he was dominant in the two wins, but he did take an L to Tiafimo, who lost his very next fight to George Cambosos. Neither Tiafimo or Cambosos are on our pound-for-pound pound list. In fact, they're not really on anybody's pound-for-pound pound list. So I think if you're going to remove anybody from this list, you could make a serious consideration to maybe bump Lomachenko off. Some people are talking about bumping Josh Taylor off, but he had one bad night at the office and still won a very close debatable decision against Catterall. But if you look at his overall body of work and what he's done recently, cleaning out a division and doing it on the road, his wins over Progray and Ramirez are better than any win Jamal Ch Jamel Charlo has on his resume. Yeah, I said it. It's the truth especially considering that he went on the road to fight Ramirez, right? So I still think Taylor deserves to be on the list. I do. Um, Chocolatito, I thought, beat Estrada. So I'm cool with keeping him on the list. Maybe you bump him off and put Mel right there. But I think if you're going to bump anybody off this list for inactivity, I think you have to consider Lomachenko. And I know that's going to be really unpopular with a lot of people. Listen, I think Lomachenko is one of the top dozen or so fighters in the world. Right now, I really, really believe that. But he's not an active fighter right now, guys. He's made it very, very clear he's probably not going to fight till next year because of what's going on in his homeland. Understandable. Admirable. He is saying, look, man, this is just boxing. What's going on in my homeland is way more important than boxing. And he's right. He couldn't be more right. But he's made his decision. And I think right now, Jermel Charlo deserves top 10 pound for pound consideration and recognition. Now, am I going to put Jermel Charlo in the top five like I see a lot of you doing? No, that's absolutely ridiculous. I see people putting Jermel Charlo above Estrada, Chocolatito, Bevel, Canelo. Like, that's just crazy. That's ridiculous, guys. I think you're going a little too far. But top 10? Absolutely. That's the way I see it. What we can debate on is who you bump off the list to put him there. That's the debate. And I'm willing to have that debate. And I know that you guys will have some interesting, um, some interesting suggestions that I can bring to the panel. So I want to hear what you got to say. Uh, real quick, we got some more super chats. Make sure I didn't miss these. Gideon. <laughs> Thank you, Gideon. He just says, Jen, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry for the, for the Forrest Gump uh, tangent, guys. I just, again, I, I heard myself say Forrest and run in the same sentence. And I just pictured his dumb ass, um, you know, Jen, I, you got ran through the entire Los Angeles Rams defensive line, but I want to sleep with you. I just, he just was an idiot, but a very charming movie. If you overlook with a terrible person, Jenai was. Uh, Sam with the super chat. Thank you, Sam. He says, if Jamel would let his hands fly early every fight, he would score more knockouts and never lose a decision. That's a pretty good argument, Sam. Um, based on what we saw, I mean, when he he what he did in the two different Charlo fights, right? It's two different guys. Now, if he fights the way he did. Saturday against some of the other top guys in the world. It might not work as well because styles make fights, but he's going to be way harder to beat. The guy we saw in the first Castaño fight, the guy we saw in the first Harrison fight, that guy's beatable. 
But the guy that we saw in this fight with Castaño, by, by the way, guys, this was Jamel Charlo's finest performance, top to bottom, finest performance. That guy is going to be hard to beat. I think he can be beat, but it's going to take a special guy to do it. It's Tony Harrison, Brian Castaño. They're just not on the level to beat that Jamel Charlo. And we got one from Anthony Santiago. Thank you, Ant. He says, Mel is the only Charlo I recognize. LOL. Great performance. And love the fact that he reps the U.S. Great point. Was rocking that American flag. You know, what's, what's not to love there, guys? Let's give the man some credit. Rare to see an American boxer wear the U.S. flag at a weigh-in. Holy hell, is that true? You don't see that much anymore. You really, really don't. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He said that remove Estrada for ducking the Chocolatito rematch. Interesting, Aaron. Interesting. You know what? You might have a really good point there because a lot of people feel that Estrada ducked. And, and for the record, it's a third fight, not a rematch. But still, you make a great point. And I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. Um, that's a really, really good point. Either way, I do think Estrada needs to be dropped lower. I'm not cool with our current top 10 ratings. There's several things I would change, but guys, it's a democratic process. I do agree that Usyk is number one though right now. I don't know how anybody could deny what Usyk has done and not say he's pound for pound number one uh, in a moment. In fact, I'd love to read to you guys what I sent. Um, Anson Wainwright is one of the writers at at Ring Mag, and he was putting together... um, he's going to put together like an update for the new pound for pound number one. And he wanted to get thoughts from everybody on the staff. And I want to show you guys what I sent, but I might've already deleted the email. I'm going to look real quick. If I can't find it, I'm going to move on. But I thought I just wanted to read what I sent to him because I think that um, it would really put things in perspective. And of course I can't freaking find it live on the show. Way to be prepared, Mike. Yeah, so forget it. But basically, I'll I'll paraphrase. What I basically said is, look, in less than 20 pro fights, you look at cruiserweight, Usyk has won ring, BC, BA, BO, and IBF. You go to heavyweight, he has won uh, WBA, WBO, IBF. And he has won 2018 uh, Fighter of the Year, 2018 Fighter of the Year, unanimous, all the, all the, uh, platforms, all the major news platforms gave him fighter of the year. You couple that with the fact that he has over 300 amateur wins, 20,011, I think, world championships, he had gold. 2012 Olympics, he had gold. He was also in the 2008 games, but didn't medal. So he's a two-time Olympian, one-time gold medalist, one-time world champion gold medalist in the amateurs before even going pro. You also, I think he's 11-0 in title fights. I, I believe it's 11-0. And I want to say six of the his wins were against former or current world champions, and they were all on the road. He did all of that in less than 20 fights. He is a cruiserweight right now fighting at heavyweight, and he has three of the belts. That has just never been done in this era. I just think the guy is special. Um, okay, let's get to this preview. Let's get to the preview, and then we'll take some calls, all right? I promise we'll take some calls. All right, uh, Saturday, May 21st, we have a few different fights. Nothing super-duper big, 
but some interesting stuff. So let's start with this top rank card at the Resorts World Las Vegas. This will be on ESPN. I will be covering this card for ringtv.com. Now that I'm done training, I'm decompressing and taking a break for a while. I'll be doing some more writing in those sorts of things, okay? More YouTube videos, more fun stuff. Janabek Alok. Alam Canuli, that's a tough name, going up against Danny Dignam of the UK, 12 rounds middleweights for the WBO interim middleweight title. This is where it gets interesting. Demetrius Andrade is the current WBO middleweight title holder. He was thinking about moving to 168. Now we kind of don't know because he got quote unquote injured <coughs> bullshit to get out of that fight. Because I think he sees maybe some other options. He's out of his matchroom deal. Anyway, we don't know what Andrade's doing. But he is the current WBO middleweight title holder. The current number one rated right behind him is Jaime Munguia. The current number two is Janabek Alam Kanuli. So if he wins this fight, he is the interim champion. And I think that would essentially mean he bumps off Munguia and becomes the number one guy. And he's right there to challenge Andre. Um, if Andre does vacate, because I don't think he wants any part of this guy, then maybe what you end up seeing is a fight between Alam Kanuli and Mungia for the vacant belt, or perhaps I don't think Mungia wants any part of this guy either. Alan Kanuli will fight the next available contender for the vacant belt. So we could wind up in a scenario where by this time next year, this guy is the WBO middleweight title holder of the world. Obviously, I favor him big in this fight. And like I said, if you guys, um, if you want to check out my article, my recap, it'll be on ringtv.com uh, early Sunday morning. Also on this card, Jamel Herring making his ring return since that tough loss to Shakur Stevenson in Atlanta last year, fighting Jermaine Ortiz, 10 rounds, lightweights. And then TGB Promotions staying busy. They just had that card in L.A. last week. Now they're going to Glendale, Arizona, which I believe is a suburb of Phoenix, right in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Very nice, very nice city there. I've uh, been through there once or twice. Nice, clean, uh, pretty city. Uh, the Gila River Arena, or it's either Gila or Gila River Arena. And this, will, of course, will be PBC on Showtime. David Benavidez fighting David Lemieux for the vacant WBC interim super middleweight title. How many chances will the WBC give David Benavidez? I don't know. Maybe 500. I feel like they've already given them 400 chances. The guy has lost the title just about every way you can without losing it in the ring. And now they're trying to get him lined up for a fight against Canelo by making him the WBC interim champion. So look, if Lemieux lands something big early, this could get interesting. But Lemieux is so past his prime. He has been stopped. I think Benavidez at this point is the bigger, stronger, way hungrier, way fresher fighter obviously is a big favorite here. But in terms of styles, in terms of the crowd, this should be pretty fun. It might end up being the funnest event of the weekend. Okay, and then we got matchroom boxing over in London, England at the O2 Arena. This, of course, will be broadcast on the zone. Joshua Bawatsi going up against Craig Richards, 10 rounds, light heavyweights. Bawatsi continues to be a light heavyweight prospect slash contender that we're all excited about and keeping a good look on. And then Chantel Cameron, 15-0, and 0, defending her unified women's junior welterweight titles against Victoria Noelia Bustos. Uh, of course, 10 rounds because this is a women's championship fight. All right. I saw another super chat. Where is it? You guys got a lot of chat going today. I love it, man. The chat is bumping. By the way, you guys clicking that thumbs up? Making sure you're clicking that thumbs up? You better be. 
I want to be pissed. It's not cool, man. Aaron with the super chat. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, yo, Mike, fight of the year. I just wish Showtime all boxing commentaries didn't have to lie about the action to push the house guy. I had a dead even going into the 10th. Interesting. And of course, Aaron is talking about Charlo Castaño. He said also the Tim Zoo, the Tim Kazoo comment was hilarity. Yeah, you know what, Aaron? Thank you for bringing that up, man. Um, I didn't even mention Tim Zoo and how he factors into the junior middleweight situation. So, damn, thank you, Aaron, for reminding me, brother. Uh, Zoo traveled to LA to attend this card in person. He is the mandatory for Jermel Charlo right now. Remains to be seen if that fight can happen. But man, I give Zoo tremendous credit because he wants to go right into that championship fight. He doesn't want any more seasoning. He doesn't want to take any more tune-ups. I think he should have one more fight. You know, coming off his last win, um, it was a good performance, but it wasn't great. And there's definitely some room for improvement. I'd love to see him in there against a Tony Harrison type before he goes in there right to Charlo. But Zoo wants it. He was there in the house. He did an interview on Showtime. And um, I don't know if he's going to end up doing a deal with PBC or not, but he clearly, clearly wants that fight. And I will say this. The char- the plan with the Charlos is pretty clear. I think Jamal Charlo is going to 168, and I think Jamel Charlo is going to go up to 160. So we may not get a Charlo-Zoo fight. It's very dependent on if Zoo plays ball with PBC and ends up signing with them and doing business the way they want it done. If he doesn't do that and wants to do a fight with Charlo in Australia, where it would be a much, much bigger event, then um, I don't know if we get that fight. I really don't know if we get it. Don't know. That will be interesting. All right. So let's um, let's jump to some callers and give my voice a break. Let's uh, go to, I think we've got 336 on the line. What is up? You're on the show. Yo, Mike. What's up? Is this Brian? How you doing, man? Yeah, BLT, you know. What's up? <laughs> How you doing, man? <laughs> the most great, great. Most important first. Everything else now is secondary. Mm. Period. Daddy. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. <laughs> I have a boy and a girl. We're both adults now. Bro, get ready. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's what everyone's telling me, bro. I, I, uh, I, you look, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I know it's going to be crazy but i am excited i am yeah yeah much congrats uh, to both of you you asked tiffany yo you can do brother you can enjoy it and don't worry about the nappies or the diapers or whatever you want to call them <laughs> i didn't know how to change it either yo you're gonna fall right into it my brother. <laughs> watch what happens <laughs> yeah man i that's the one part where i'm like holy shit i'm not ready for that but um now, look, they say girls are easier, but they also say uh, they're harder when they're teenagers. Plan, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're easier, like, when they're babies, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, they're a lot easier to body train, that's for sure. Well, okay. in, in my case, it was. But, uh, teenage, I really didn't have any trouble for me, though, mine, so I don't know. Okay. You know, okay. they were both chill, so what can I say? Man, anyway, um, yeah. I was blessed, my brother. I tell you what, they did everything straight. 
period. No problem. Okay. Never had to, yo, never had to lift, lift my hand, raise my voice, really. Just gave mm. a look a couple of times, and that was it. They knew it was uh, up, just from the look. I okay, I got to work on that look. <laughs> That's I got to work on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got to work on that. They got to respect the look. Uh, <laughs> True. Yo, one thing here. Coverless, what's this, like, 2 o'clock? I'm too old for that shit. Yo, man, <laughs> you know how many times I said, I'm going to go to bed. But I was like, nah, Kovalev's fight. I got to stay up. Then then um, Kubrat Pulev came on. I was half asleep. And I was yeah. kind of getting through that one. I said, I only got one left. Nah, I'm going to go to bed. Nah. So I did stay up, but it was like tough. But yo, I checked him out. He did what he had to do, and he won. Congrats. What Mr. time did Kovalev. the main event come on? Do you remember? Yeah, it was about two, two something. Damn, two, probably. That's crazy. And everything man. was finished. I looked for the clock. Yo, it was. I was like, they was talking about how many fights left because I was going back and forth to these fights. Because they had the concert, like, right? They had. They didn't they have like concerts in between oh, the fights? Oh my god! Look, that's too much. Man. Yeah, too yeah, much. yeah. I mean, give the guys a little play, but damn, we ain't trying to do two hours of your shit. That's son. too much, man. Yo, this is boxing. Yeah, this is boxing. You know what I'm saying? Yo, that was too much of that stuff, man. Forget about that. But anyway, yo, I guess, you know, they trying to get back and get back on, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, yo, put the boxing on then and then put them on after. You know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what else? What else? I concur with everything you said. I'm not going to repeat anything. Yeah, that Bacoli thing was like, yo, that was a Mike Tyson truth. Everybody got a plan to like they hit in the mouth. Yep. Yo. Yep. Joker <laughs> did not look like, good. Bro, when he got yeah. hit, it looked like he did not yeah. like it, man. He you did not respond me. well. Yo, talk about it. Talk yeah. the truth, brother. Yeah. Yeah. My man was like, oh, this is the real deal now. Oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, he's got a lot of things to think about and do and whatever. But yeah, and everything else, yo, man. I'm not going to you know, rehash anything, man. You're on point, as always. And you got the minutiae guys, the professors, they're going to come on anyway. <laughs> so you know what? But, yo, you going to you going to New York? I was just in New York, man. Ah, uh, shit. Uh, but I'm going to keep up with that and see if I can get back up there when you're there, right? Yeah, okay. Let me know, man. Let me know. Because, like I said, we'll, we'll do a meetup at Jimmy's Corner or something like that. We'll figure it out. But that would be awesome yeah. to chop it up with you, man. Because now I could drink. So <laughs> we'll have a couple of beers, man. That'd be awesome, man. So yeah, let me know. Yo, I just went up, I just went up there and spent all this money, but I'm going, uh, yeah, I'm gonna definitely make the effort. Yo, that's for sure. What yeah, was the mask? Was what was the killing. mask situation like with the mask? Did they have did they make you wear a mask everywhere? Mask? Or was it yeah. No, nah, they don't make you, but a lot of people are wearing them though. Yeah. They're they're, they're wearing them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 not mandatory, but a lot of people still have them on. Okay. You know, they're not right. playing. So, you know, it's up to you. Well, right now, I don't know if it will change. Because I was on subway all the time, so it wasn't like I was in a car now. Okay. So I was doing real New York. Yeah. So You yeah, can't drive in New York, man. Wearing... What's the point, man? Yeah, you can, but shit. Who wants to? somebody else. <laughs> Hell yeah. I ain't driving in New York. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, yo, boss, congrats, man. I, I, I got to make it up there so I can see you in Tiff, man. Hell yeah, man. That'd yeah, be great, dog. 
Let me know, man. That'd be for fantastic. Real. Yeah, but you're going to make the plans or whatever. So I'll, I'll keep up with you and then I'll see if I can actually make it. All right. It sounds good, man. Sounds good, brother. Let me know. All right. All right. Peace, my brother. All right, peace. Take care. There we go. It's BLT. He ain't been on the show in a minute. It's good to hear him. All right, let's keep this thing going. We got, uh, I think we got New York. We got 917 on the line. You're on the show. What's going on? Hey, Mike. This is Miles calling from New York. Uh, Miles. New York. What's up, Miles? How you doing, bro? First time I'm doing good, Mike. Thank you. Uh, first time calling anywhere, but, uh, you know, I love Fox and I love your show. Um, but like your previous caller said, it's nothing more important than family. So congratulations, Mike. You know, I really am happy to be with Tiffany. Um, and you're going to do just fine. Don't worry about that. Um, Thank you. You know, I feel bad. I was going to go to the uh, Joe Smith fight. And uh, I'm not going to be in town that weekend. I would have loved to meet up with you at the garden. I, uh, I was down there to see um, Ber- Berlanga. Okay. Right? That was a big disappointment. And, yeah. Uh, but I would have loved to meet up with you up here, you know? It's going to happen um, eventually, brother. It's going to happen, Mike, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we go to the garden, so, uh, you know, we'll definitely hook up, and, and hopefully there's some, you know, going to be some good fights at the garden. You know, I have to say that I love, I love, love boxing, and I just learned so much from listening to you and your callers, and uh, just, a, it's a treat, but I just felt I had to call, you know, I, um, I tried to get you last week and I wasn't able to get through for whatever reason. Uh, but, you know, I just don't know why more people didn't see uh, what happened with uh, Bebo, uh coming. You know, I saw it coming. I actually thought he was going to stop him. Mm. And I think if I hope he fights him at 168 because um, I think he will stop him at any weight. Uh, you know, he is so disciplined uh, that when he... But he, I think he could have went for a knockout on that fight, but he's just so disciplined. He stuck to the game plan. Um, and it was just, you know, you said a lot on that little rant you had. Uh, it was just despicable um, how they treated him. And, yeah. you know, they just think uh, that Canelo is bigger than bigger than the sport. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just, and even there was a Spanish kid who fought uh, Montana Love, uh, when he did it, I don't know, I never heard anybody say anything about this, but when he did his ring walk, uh, they were playing a Top Gun commercial. And they had him, like, in a little screen to the left, but but uh, they had a Top Gun commercial on. I just... Uh, they played that commercial you know, a hundred times. In room. And you're right, they played it right it in the middle of his ring walk. It was a two-hour Top Gun commercial. Yeah. Yeah, it was a two-hour Top Gun commercial <laughs> after I paid yeah. uh, an annual fee. And then I paid it. You you talked about all that, so I won't yeah. I won't go over. That was a good uh, a good rant. I mean, but Hearn and uh, Matchroom, uh, I mean uh, Matchroom and the Zone uh, should really be ashamed of themselves, you know. Um, but you know, Mike, I love what Jamel did. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan. I didn't think he lost to Harrison. I did think he lost to Castano. Okay. Uh, and both times he came back and he punctuated the, you know, he made sure there was no yep. doubt. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I, I just can't say enough about this young man, you know, his brother, not so much, but, um, and I, I hope Jamel, which he won't, but I hope he gets that little chip off his shoulder now because he's, he's done it. You know, he did mm-hmm. everything he's supposed to do. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw that little thing with Mike Coppinger, but I saw it. Um, yeah. he put Mike Coppinger in his place. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was sweet. But Mike, I don't, you know, I'd rather listen to you and your callers. Um, and I hope you find that 4XL. It's for a good <laughs> friend of mine who's obviously a big guy. Um, so if you find one, I hope you send that up. And, uh, do, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much for calling in, man. And Thank yeah, you very I, much, Mike. I appreciate it, brother. Of course, Mike. Go, go to your other callers. I'll listen in. Okay, Thank cool. You. Thank you. Yeah, um, I forgot to mention that too. Miles brought it up, but um, I'm sure you guys all saw it where uh, Jermel Charlo basically got in Mike Coppinger's face uh, and said, you're going to fix your pound for pound list now. You know, you're always hating on people, blah, blah, blah. And some people didn't like that. But I got to say, again, going back to everything I just learned myself with what I went through Friday night, um, that chip on your shoulder is what keeps you. Some people need that. And I've had a chip on my shoulder for a lot of my life because of things I've been through. Um, but it's going away as I get older and being married, you know, those things, women, women, um, civilize men. That's what women do to us. They civilize us. And, uh, you know, you ladies are just more mature than us and more civilized. And, you know, before I met my wife, I was just a, a, a walking killer. You, you know, uh, I, I just was a different guy. And she has, it's taken her a lot of effort, <laughs> but she has calmed me down and relaxed me. And honestly, um, that's why we work so well together. We're yin and yang, you know, and um, that chip is kind of cutting away. And I'm just trying to be happier and enjoy life more and not be so on edge. But with the Charlos, you know, when I looked at that clip of Jamel Charlo getting in Coppinger's ass, a lot of people didn't like that. Like, oh, he shouldn't have did this, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking to myself, if that's what he needs to do, if especially going into that rematch with Castaño, because I think deep down inside, Jamel knows he lost that one and got away with one. And if that's what he needed to kind of be there to, to win that fight and, and to, to start faster and, and just be sharper – then that's what he needs to do. You know, uh, there are so many boxers, guys, that during their career were seen as dicks. They were public enemy number one. And then they retire, and then they kind of turn into what I call happy grandpas. None bigger of an example than Mike Tyson. At one point, Mike Tyson was literally seen as like public enemy number one in America. Middle America hated that man. And so did the elite coastal part of America, right? Both political sides of the fence hated this man for different reasons. Um, he was either a misogynist or a racist pig or, or an animal, you know, all these different things. And now he is seen as America's sweetheart. You know, like Mike Tyson was in the hangover movies. He did a play. He's, he's, he has like a pot farm. Like It's crazy. He has a cartoon, I think. I know he, he did have a cartoon, but he is seen as like this happy grandpa that you just want to give a hug to. Unless you're an asshole on the plane harassing him, he'll still take care of business. By the way, Tyson did nothing wrong in that situation. But um, there's a perfect example. So I, I, I give Jamel Charlo a pass for that shit. I don't think what he did with Coppinger was that bad. Um, maybe that's just what he needs. And maybe if he doesn't have that edge, that's when he falls short against Harrison 
Castaño, and that's what he needs to do to keep himself there. I'm not going to judge the man for that, you know, especially after what I just learned myself this weekend. Super chat from Sam. Thanks again, Sam. He says, um, is it true they're not paying Bevo? Oh, man, thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah, guys, look, to my knowledge now, no American outlets have reported this. Gee, I wonder why. But several outlets in other parts of the world. Now, listen, you can't always trust some of these news outlets, okay? So I, I don't know this 100% for certain. I'm not connected to the situation closely enough to properly comment on this. To pro I should say to properly confirm it. But based on what I have heard from multiple sources, Dimitri Bevel has not been paid yet. Not cool. Just, just not cool. It, it, look, I understand that there's a lot of people around that um, are upset about what's going on, and they should be. But that has nothing to do with that man. And that man went and did his job, and he did his job exceptionally well. Pay the guy. Pay him the damn money. All right, back to the phones we go. Let me jump over back to the phones. We got 570. I think this is Thad. What's up? You're on the show. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Again, uh, big thanks and uh, congrats on your uh, your family. Thank you. So uh, everything else is kind of small potatoes from there on. So uh, good job. Yeah. Um, now back to back to boxing with the pound for pound. Since everybody takes this so seriously anymore, I remember when Ring Magazine came out with it in like 1983. I was just a kid and I was reading my dad's Ring magazines. Like that's why I fell in love with boxing. And, um, you know, it's always just mythical thing. Well, now everyone takes it so seriously. So if it's going to be that, there has to be bylaws. And the ring could kind of get in line with that. One way you could solve this problem and dilemma of who to take off lists should uh, dwell on the fact of activity and the fact if there are two fighters in a division that aren't fighting each other for at least a two-year period, they should either be banished altogether or ranked where the the latter of the two are ranked like say if uh so if you have crawford and spence wherever you have spence ranked i think he's like sixth or seventh on the list you should have crawford and spence together with an asterisk as a tie and rank them uh, accordingly because pound for pound is fighting guys your own size right now and it's mm -hmm. also mythically if everybody was the same size who would win in a fight so you have these these dilemmas, you know, mixed in with each other. You see a lot of guys like Charlo, who's a very large man fighting in a division he doesn't belong in. He's fighting smaller guys. A, a lot of these guys are fighting smaller guys, and that should count for something as well, or, or should detract. Guys like Yusick giving up 30 pounds to AJ and whipping his ass, that should also count in yeah. favor. There, yes. there should be some bylaws here. Let's get down to what it really means. Well, Thad, let me ask you this real so quick. If, if that, Do you rate Tyson yeah. Fury pound for pound? I only do in the sense that he, his resume and who he's beaten in his victories and, and how significant they were. I believe if he was a smaller man, he would still beat a lot of these guys. And I, I know that's a hard pill to swallow for some people, but he uses his size, but he doesn't necessarily have to use his size. He chooses to because it's an advantage. But his skill is just so far beyond people in his weight class. Uh, the only guy that has that skill is Usyk, okay? And he's a smaller man beating bigger men. 
But Fury can fight in so many different ways. It doesn't matter that he's the size he is. So that's why I would rank him pound for pound. I, I think it doesn't matter with him. He's just such a good fighter. Okay. He's going to find a way to win. He's so resilient. I mean, that, I just, just can't, I that just matters can't, in boxing. I can't put him on there until he fights Usyk. Or the Usyk-Joshua winner, I should say. I just can't. But that, but that's me. Yeah. That's me. And if, and and I agree. If he doesn't fight him within the next year, because it'd be about a two-year period, because Usyk's only, you know, he, he beat Joshua recently. If he doesn't fight him, yeah, he should be knocked off the list, obviously, especially with all the talk of him retiring. And if he is retiring, he should be taken off the list. So I think that fixes and solves a lot of issues. Fair enough. But um, I, I would I would say Joe Smith and Baturbiev. That that fight should the winner of that fight should be especially if it's Baturbiev should be on the list. I mean, they're knocking guys out. Yeah. You know, they're definitive. And I that, that's something else with boxing. It needs more knockouts. That's the ultimate decider of who wins a fight because it's subjective when it goes to the cards. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but this past weekend, I watched every fight pretty much. I was a junkie this weekend. The casino had all the fights. And um, the, Bacol- the Bacoli and uh, Yoka fight, boy, I, 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 that was one of the worst score cards ever where, where it was a draw. Yeah. And it, it just goes to show, if you don't finish a guy off, you're playing with fire. That was, that was absolute hot garbage. And 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 Yoko's people keeping him in that fight—that's pretty amazing. Because I thought they should have pulled him out around the fifth round. He was just falling around. He has no balance. Guys, guys, six seven with that big upper body and those spindly legs—they just don't have a base. And if you could push them around, and and his punches were moving him, like not necessarily hurting him as much as they're moving him. Like his whole body would move. Yeah. With these bigger heavyweights today, that's. You just don't have a lot of these guys with that base. Wilder's another one. He throws a punch and they fall over almost. That's why Emmanuel Stewart was such a good trainer when he got Lewis and Vladimir. He taught them to fight tall on balance where they don't come forward and put themselves at risk in being off balance. But they had that equalizer. They had the big jab and they had the big power from the right hand. And there's not a lot of guys that have that in history. And that's the only reason why you can have them fight tall. So all these other guys, like they're trying to mimic that style. If you don't have those two weapons, the big telephone pole jab and the big right hand, then you're, you know, maybe you should be playing basketball. Hmm. It, it, cause you don't have the balance. Hmm. So with that being said, I would like to interject something else with, with the, uh, with, with boxing and, and its rules. And it, it amazes me that the eight, the eight ounce gloves aren't utilized more in the heavier divisions like when they used to be. I remember Mike Tyson used to fight with eight ounce gloves and then they changed the rule at some point. I would love to see the eight ounce gloves come back in the heavier divisions and maybe, maybe have lighter gloves in the lighter divisions to create more opportunity for knockouts. UFC uses four ounce gloves. Have we seen any ring deaths knock on wood? No, we haven't. Because sometimes a knockout is better than a prolonged beating. Yeah, that's true. So there's science around yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love. There definitely is, and I'd, I'd love to see somebody bring that up, and maybe there could be some cool rule, rule changes in boxing. It'll be better for the fans, better for the fighters, the all-around health of the sport. So uh, I don't know. I'd love to get your feedback on that, and maybe Ring Magazine could even do a poll. You know, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. You know, such a traditional sport like boxing, but 
sometimes they change these rules and it and it just overlaps and it, and with with the fact they took 15 rounds away now you have bigger gloves and guys just you know slapping for 12 rounds trying to get a decision and and the judges now have all this power the judges are basically ruling for the A-list fighter it's not good sport so some of these problems could solve themselves with uh you know bringing back the knockout again so um with with that mike i'm i'm probably going to leave you early and uh i i'm i'm really hoping that everyone's going to be hyping up the joe smith versus Baturbia fight my view it's going to be fight of the year oh yeah both these guys are the most powerful puncher punchers in boxing you're going to see a knockout this is guaranteed if, if this fight goes to the cards, I'll swim across the Hudson River myself, okay? <laughs> it's just, it, it, it really is, it really is a fight that's going to be who has the better chin, not necessarily who has the better punch. They both could punch. Who wants it it's more? Joe Smith. And Joe Smith has that heart. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a fighter that determined before. He, he has a, a nine-to-five bob. He owns a company. He's in, you know, he does the, the tree work and works with his hands and Baturbia in his training, he trains with his hands. It's like Drago versus Rocky. One guy's doing old fashioned training methods. The other guy's doing scientific training methods. So who's, who's scientific method or traditional method is going to win out. I think that's another angle to this fight. I wish top rank would build that, um, that up as well. Um, that's a fight I'm just looking forward to. I just hope it gets here soon. And, uh, that's all I got to say. Good stuff, Dad. Thanks for the call, brother. Yeah, take care now. You too, man. Yeah, I'm excited for that fight, and I'm glad I'm going to be there. I can't wait to see some of you guys there. Uh, I just think the caption for that fight should read, Sanctioned Violence, because that's just guaranteed violence. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles with the Super Chase says, What a great shirt. I know you're biased, Captain Hook. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good stuff, man. All right. Um, let's see. We're about 135 in. We've got 20 some odd minutes left. Let's jump back to these phone calls, man. We're just going to keep it going, guys. And we got uh, Anthony on the chat. 210, you are on the show. 210, you're on the show. What's up? I think I hear a dog barking. <laughs> oh, hey. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. I'm, in, I'm, on the, I'm on the river right now. Uh, oh, okay. My kayak fishing in a. Uh, Oh, you're San Antonio, right? On the river down there? That's cool, man. That's a nice yeah, area. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice day. But, uh, what? yeah. Okay, no, I think we stopped. Um, no, hey, uh, yeah, enjoying the show. Uh, I was jamming out. I wanted to hear some boxing. I mean, you know, I'm still kind of buzzing over uh, the, the weekend. But, man, I think Charlo, I agree with you. He's a breath of fresh air. Because what I like about Charlo is he's going to stick to the code. And you know what code I mean. We did this. I like how he he has that no rooms, you know, dog eat dog mentality. You remember when he when he uh, uh, trashed Wilder and Tank? Yep, he did. And uh, great point. The cop, you know, like he 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 praises Canelo recently, and he's even using Canelo's lines like, "Hey, I like what he's doing." You know, he inspires me. And then he tells the other guys, "I'm busy." <laughs> Just the way Canelo was. Uh, you point. see him in the locker room with uh, with uh, with that Isaac Cruz. You know, Pitbull telling him, "Oh man, I love you." You know what I mean? He's just telling uh, give in to this this crazy stuff that's happening lately. That's been really uh, making boxing toxic with the whole race thing. And 
that's what I like, you know, and, and that's like Mike Tyson tried to do with his brother when he was on the show. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, yeah, yeah, where he told him, you got to step we, it up. You yeah. got to fight more guys. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And, and he said, say the names. We want to hear them. Hey, you got to say the names. Say the names. And we're Scott. Oh, you're breaking, you're breaking up a little bit. Okay, I can hear you now, but you're breaking up a little bit, man. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I'm just, I'll just close with, man. I like, I like his attitude. He's mean. I want to see that happen there. You know what I mean? So, much props to Charlo. I wasn't going to go to his brother's fight, but uh, I think because he's going to be in the house, you know, maybe he'll be, you know, he's going to his brother's gang a little bit and he doesn't want to fight people. So I'll probably, I'll probably go to Houston. It's only a couple hours away, you know, maybe, uh, maybe see the unified champ. But, uh, man, much props to Charlo, man. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm high on the guy. You know, I like what he's, I like his attitude. You know, I, I knew guys that knew him in the amateurs and actually like were roommates with him. They said he's, he, he's hard to get along with. You know what I mean? Like, he don't get along with his brother. He don't get along with nobody. But you know yeah. what? This boxing, hey, that's, that's helping us out as fans because he's fighting the fights and he's, he's backing up his thought, you know, so. Like he says, people keep keep running their mouth. You know what I mean? So I like it, man. Props to Charlo. And yeah, that's that's all I got, Mike. That's good stuff, man. You made some great points, Ant. Enjoy the river, bro. Always, always, yeah. Take it easy. All right, man, you too. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Uh, again, so you, it's, I have I have the best freaking callers. Um, you know, Charlo, I remember he did criticize Javante Davis. He did criticize Deontay Wilder. He has given credit to guys like Canelo Alvarez and others that were with rival promoters. It's just what's what's crazy is like just showing just him rocking an American flag at a weigh-in was seen as controversial. That's like how polarized certain things are in the American boxing scene, if not the entire American media outside of boxing. And I like that he's not afraid to to go there. And yes, Charlo probably rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but if that, again, if that's what he needs to do in his career, I will say this, I've interacted and been around the Charlos outside of the ring. I've seen them at fight hotels. I've seen them at parties. They're like that all the time. They're, they're not playing that up for the camera. It is not an act. 90% of the time it is an act with, with a lot of these guys, but with them, that's just how they are. And hey, man, I almost kind of prefer my fighters that way than the cuddly teddy bear um, because those are the guys that you, you just feel uh, when you have that dog in you, uh, it's going to make for a better fight at some point when they finally step up. And look, man, the first six rounds of that fight between Charlo and Castano this, this Saturday was great. There was some great two-way action. But one guy just had more dog in him and wanted it more, and that was Charlo. And maybe that chip on his shoulder is what helps him get through those moments, you know? <clears throat> All right. 650, you were on the show. 650, what's up? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Oh, my first time caller. Uh, I recently just moved to the United States, so before I had to like wait till you know, 2 a.m. to watch this. Okay. <laughs> but now that I'm on. Uh, yeah, from India. Anyways, uh, let me just uh, call pretty quick. I don't want to take too much of your time. Obviously, congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you and, very much. Um, uh, but yeah, 
I was just going to talk about, I guess, uh, the light heavyweight division, right? Because obviously you got Viterbia versus Joe Smith, and then hopefully uh, that ends up being a uh, undisputed bout against uh, Bivo. But uh, yeah, one thing I don't hear people talk about, I, I guess, because, you know, you watch Bivo's older fights on, you know, like the full fight replays and stuff, and it's like, oh, Bivo weighs in at, about, at around 180, 185, and he's fighting people at 200. And then that was just something that I feel like might play a bigger part when he, you know, fights the the winner of the Turbia or Joe Smith because, yeah, he's disciplined and he's good, but being 15, 20 pounds lighter than your opponent is a big deal in my opinion. So oh, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I agree, especially it's, when you're fighting a guy who's really physically strong, which Baturbiev and Smith both are, and punch hard, it's going to play a major factor. Yeah. But, yeah, hopefully that's uh, that's what ends up happening. It's, it's like, you know, that fight. I don't want to see the rematch against Canelo. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't want to see a fight against Zerdo either, although I mean, that would be a fun fight. But at this point, the trivia is you know, getting up in the years. I think he's 37, 38 now. And, yeah, I think if, if there's any time for that fight to happen, it's as soon as possible, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And, I mean, I guess that's pretty much it. I really don't have much to say. Once again, congratulations. And uh, a huge fan of the show. Thanks, the man. Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. Call back anytime, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank I'll you. be enough. Bye. And I think we got Nacho up next. Oh, man, I know Nacho's going to have some opinions. Let's hear what he's got to say. Nacho, the floor is yours, brother. Take it and run. <laughs> hey, Mike. Uh, so um, as far as uh, before I get started, I'm like everyone else. Congratulations on uh, Thank you. the uh, new addition. Thank you. <laughs> to the Montero and then, uh, Yeah, no problem. Yeah, exactly. She'll be the... Uh, She'll be carrying the spit bucket, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, sir. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so, as far as uh, Charlo Castaño, Mike, I think Charlo, I mean, I give him credit. You know, he did what he had to do to win that fight. But I honestly thought that Castaño did switch up his game plan a little bit in that he did go on the attack a lot sooner, and he was able to... Um, you know, press him and, and kind of corner him at times and, you know, get him into uh, certain spots where it looked like Charlo had uh, issues. And I don't know, a lot of people are saying that they felt like uh, Charlo w- was winning that fight and that uh, Castaño really had like no, like he wasn't up at any point. I don't know, then maybe me and Coppinger must have been watching to a completely different fight because I scored it the same way that he had it. I had Castaño up by one going okay. into the 10th. I thought, I thought that, uh, Showtime, uh, their announcers were trying way too hard to give every benefit of a doubt to Charlo. And they were kind of being negative towards Castaño. And so that's why I just kind of felt like they were giving too much credit to Charlo and not enough to Castaño. But in the end, it didn't matter. Castaño got caught with that short chopping left hand to the temple. He dropped him. He tried to get up. His legs were completely gone. And um, Charlo jumped on him when he knew he was hurt. And, you know, that was the fight. Um, you know, he he won, and all credit to him. 
but I honestly feel like some people are kind of dismissing uh, Castaño's performance a little bit. It almost seems like they're making it sound like he was getting waxed real easily or something, and that wasn't the case. It was a really close, competitive fight all the way up until the knockout, in my opinion. Um, And then with Boots, Boots looked great, Mike. And, I mean, Castillo, I I don't know. I, I, I didn't know much about him going into the fight. And after watching him not really put up much resistance, I mean, there was a reason he he was picked. Um, but at this point, man, they got to find somebody that can test this kid. Yeah. Like the, uh, the, the, hype, the hype train is getting a little too out of control with boots. Some people are out here already trying to crown him. And it's like, dude, like, hold on. He hasn't even fought a top five guy yet. And you guys are already ready to crown him the best fighter at welterweight is like, no, no, come on. he's got to prove like, that. But we, they gotta, put him in there with yeah. Keith Thurman. He's ready for Keith Thurman. I want to see that fight. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I, I wouldn't mind. What do you think about a guy like, uh, Butayev or even Jamal James? I wouldn't mind seeing something like that either. It'd be a step up. Sure. I'd love to see it. I, I, I just, yeah, yeah. I it, do it. The time is now. Yeah, exactly. Like we need to see him get pushed into the fight later into the fight and we need to see him face some adversity before we're out here already crowning him the best guy in the division um but he will be the best guy at some point we just need to see it um with uh zerto um man mike the 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 zone crew was saying something crazy they were saying that he put on 29 pounds overnight before his fight against bozell and then he came into the ring at 204. I couldn't believe that. I was like, wait, what the hell? Wow. And so, yeah, so basically he was a heavyweight in the ring against Bozell. And you could tell because as soon as he started hitting Bozell, Bozell wanted no part of those body shots because they must have been hurting like hell. And, yeah, and so he took out Bozell, which I expected him to do. He is, uh, you know, mandatory now to b-ball. I'm curious to see if B-Ball does take him on because it kind of sounds like B-Ball is more interested in waiting around for the uh, Joe Smith Viterbiev uh, winner. So, so yeah, so um, I, I'm curious to see, you know, what happens with, with that whole situation. Um, hopefully he does fight uh, B-Ball, but, I mean, who knows? I think Golden Boy is going to have to figure out what they're going to do if B-Ball decides to wait for the winner of that fight instead. And um, and with the trailer card, I don't know, Mike. I had a tough time watching that that card. Like uh, like you said, there were a lot of setups uh, where the prospects were supposed to win, and they did for the most part, except for the Evan Holyfield fight, which was surprising. I didn't expect him to get knocked out. Um, I'm just curious to see if he ends up deciding to to try to get back in the ring against the guy who beat him and try to kind of get some uh, payback. Uh, soon instead of uh, you know just kind of moving on um, Kovalev you give Kovalev credit for coming back after two and a half years but there's just like a decline there Mike like you can see yeah. it he looked like he looked like he's off balance he looked like he's kind of lost a couple of steps but like I don't know if I'd want to put him in against a real cruiserweight I think if they're smart they'll try to fight guys who are you know somewhat beatable 
but I don't know if he can beat certain guys in that division. He's he's very fragile looking to me. So I I don't know. We'll see what they do with Kovalev. I, I mean, he does think he's he can compete for a championship in that division. I'm not so sure. And then uh, that whole Pulev uh, Forrest debacle was crazy. Like to see that guy not have a pair of his own gloves oh, that yeah. he could wear for That's the right. fight, yeah. and they needed to and they needed to give him backup gloves. I've never heard of that before, but you know, Pulev went out there. He did what he had to do. He won that fight. Um, I don't really know what much he can say uh, about Pulev at this point. He's had a few title shots. He wasn't good enough to win them. I mean. I guess he's just kind of hanging around, hoping that maybe at some point he gets a third one, but uh, I don't know. And then lastly, Mike, with the whole um, Yoka Bacoli fight, um, I had that fight scored way lopsided for Bacoli. I thought that he won that fight 98 to 90. Yeah. And the only reason I gave Yoka any kind of rounds was because I thought that Bacoli's rounds off for the middle of the fight because he looked like he was so tired from beating up on um, Yoka that fight because Yoka looked completely spent halfway through the fight and Virgil Hunter's out here like imploring him like man you gotta you gotta go in there and you gotta get the knockout because you're, you're not gonna win this fight and and Yoka for whatever he tried he just couldn't do it he just got beat by the better man and uh, I don't know what they do with Yoka that's gonna be a tough loss to come back from yeah. uh, so I'll be curious to see what they decide to do with him moving forward. All right, Mike. That's it. All right. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Thanks, bro. All right, man. Yeah. All right. There he goes. And um, I see a bunch of you guys in the chat. Gail Falkenthal has had several great comments um, on the, um, by the way, Gail Falkenthal is talking about the Jerry Forrest situation. She says that he got the backup gloves from his opponent, from Kubra Pulev. Pulev had to lend Forrest his backup pair of uh, uh, gloves for the fight to take place, WTF. Um, by the way, guys, uh, adding to the issues I faced in my fight Friday, the commission didn't have gloves for us because the, the promoter was supposed to provide gloves. They didn't have gloves for us heavyweights. Luckily, I brought some because I anticipated maybe a situation. You, you always plan ahead for crazy stuff. I brought wraps. I brought all kinds of shit. And so I used mine, but my opponent grabbed um, – some very, very hard gloves, and uh, the commission okayed it. Anyway, yeah, it is what it is, but we didn't get gloved up until like two minutes before the, the fight. It was just crazy. Anyway, Gail was talking about the situation with Dimitri Bivol, and I want to be clear. I was not trying to indicate that there's some kind of conspiracy against him or the promotion didn't pay him or they're trying to screw the guy over. Obviously, this comes down to international banking, the guys over in Russia, it has to deal with his management and the people involved over there getting him paid. All I'm saying is the dude went out there and did his job. So the people in charge need to make sure he gets paid. It's only fair. It's only right. And I just hope that that situation gets resolved because yeah, you know, it's just not cool. The whole thing is just not cool. After all the disrespect the guy faced in the lead up, the promotion and the fight itself, on top of that, to not get paid, um, people over there need to get that situation resolved. Um, Gail, yeah, I see in the chats. Yeah, it was, um, Gail, it was just a bad situation. Um, I didn't get my gloves on until 
two minutes before the fight. I did 30 seconds of mitts with a, a different trainer to warm up. My trainer had the first three fights. So he was wrapping one of the, his fighters hands. I didn't even, I, I was basically waiting in the tunnel for my ring walk and I was blue corner and the commission was going blue corner trainer, blue corner trainer. And my coach had to run up and then we ran out. I had a terrible warm up. It just, it was a clusterfuck of scenarios. I didn't talk about this at the beginning of the show. Cause I just don't want to sound like I'm making excuses, but it was a really, really bad situation that I faced um, this Friday. And I should have rose above it all and I should have still performed better. Um, but I let all that stuff get me in my head and I started really, really flat and I just did not have a good night, but I still made it close and got a you know, split decision. So anyway, um, they just, one of those learning lessons, Gail. <clears throat> all right. This is probably going to be the last call. 818, you are on the show. What's up? Hey Mike, it's good to, hear from you again and congratulations like everyone else said um i'll make this quick um i looked at the ring ratings because i you're showing them and i see that with crocker you have he has listed as number two and i just wanted i guess clarification on this when you go to welterweight it shows that spence is ahead of him so i mean is it just we're looking is it just singular singular looking of just okay welterweight he's going to be ranked above just because he has all the belts or and we look at copper pound well we're going to put crawford because based on skill and what we can see i just want if there's some sort of clarification on why um in pound for pound we have him ranked above, uh, ahead of spence but in welterweight he's you know he's ahead of crawford so it, no, it's a great it's a great question no it's it's a great question and i can see why it looks confusing Divisional rankings are based solely on what a fighter has done in that division. That's how we rate. So in terms of welterweight accomplishments, Spence has done more than Crawford. But in a pound-for-pound setting, Crawford has clearly done more. He won belts in three different weight classes, and he was undisputed in one of them. So that is why he has a higher – and he was former fighter of the year. That is why he has a higher rating than Spence pound-for-pound. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. That makes plenty of sense. That, okay. that was better clarification. I just when it comes up to someone just you know popping on the website, they're probably going to get confused. And so you answered it, so that's great. Secondly, um, I see obviously Jerron Ennis great performance. So we expected to do that, of course. Um, when you see the list of just all these young welterweights that are coming up, we have also uh, Josh Taylor moving up. I, if I'm going to make a bold prediction, I would say at the end when you know Crawford and Spencer finally through with what we've been waiting for for the past five plus years, we, we, we see the, the younger guys get their, you know, chances. And, and uh, to be honest, if I were to see the, the two last men standing, I do think personally with the styles that I've seen, all these guys, it's going to be probably Connor Ben and John. And it's just with mm. the sheer this ability that I've seen, what they can do. I think those matchups, that matchup particularly, that's going to be, the next one, I think that's going to be the next one. Personally, I don't know if you can see that, uh, see that eye to eye in a sense, but I wanted your your thoughts on on that as well. I think though the welterweight division is in good hands. If we get Ennis, we get Virgil Ortiz, we get Connor Ben, yep, we get Josh Taylor. Would not surprise me to even see guys yep. like um, 
um, some of the well, or I'm sorry, the lightweights right now end up at welterweight guys. Like it might sound crazy, but guys like Ryan Garcia and um, mm-hmm. even Tiafimo Lopez will eventually maybe be at 147. Regis Progre. I mean, all these guys, it's going to be fun, man, as long as they fight each other. But yeah, if we end up with a situation where Ennis is the top American welterweight, and then we got Connor Ben, who's going to be a superstar over there if he keeps doing what he's doing in the UK. Man, that could be a huge international fight. That'd be awesome. Oh, that could be. I could see it being possibly, you know, boxer brawler type stuff. It could be. It could be a trilogy. I mean, that could be. You know, this is five, six years in in the making, probably that when eventually they'll fight each other. But anyway, Mike, that's all I wanted to mention. Um, congratulations again, and um, you know, thanks for the call. Thank you. Appreciate it, brother. All right, guys, uh, we're running up at two hours. Uh, good comment here from Joe in the chat. He says, did Ortiz say he can't make 147 anymore? Great point. Virgil's probably going up to 54. And I think eventually Virgil Ortiz and Jerron Ennis are going to eventually be middleweights. I mean, that's what's going to happen. These guys are all going to move up and wait as they get older and older. That's just what happens. But awesome show, guys. Thanks for obliging me on some of the personal stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll do it again Friday. Uh, because I got the time. I'm not going to be training. I'm taking a week off. So uh, we'll do Friday on my channel and uh, chop it up before the fights this weekend, okay? Thanks for a great show, guys. The chat was awesome today. Great freaking calls. And I look forward to talking to you again later in the week over on Montero Unboxing uh, YouTube channel. All right? Have a great one and uh, enjoy your week. And we will talk soon. I'll see you at the fights.